0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Lab Report, a podcast that will show you the inner workings of the clinical lab through discussions, interviews and stories. Most importantly, you will see what goes on behind the scenes in the clinical lab and how it can impact you.
1: Welcome to this episode of The Lab Report. Originally, we had intended this to be a two-part series on drug testing and the opioid epidemic. What happened was with this coming episode, we had so much good content from our speakers that we have decided to split it into two parts. And so today's episode will be the second in a three-part series on drug testing and the opioid epidemic. In our last episode, we had doctors Raisman, Colborne, and Thomas introduce the basics of toxicology and opioid testing in the clinical laboratory. Today, though, we're going to discuss a relatively new concept called drug checking programs, which we have two fantastic guests today. So give them a brief introduction. First, we have Dr. Daniel Barrio. He studied at the University of Toronto Clinical Chemistry Fellowship. And now he is division head of biochemistry at Uni Health Toronto, as well as an assistant professor in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathobiology at the University of Toronto. We also have Dr. Sarah Delaney, who did her clinical biochemistry training at Mayo Clinic and is now also a clinical biochemist at Unity Health Toronto, as well as an assistant professor in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathobiology. So welcome to both of you. Uh, I want to thank you both for coming on to this and talking about this really important novel type of lab testing that we do. Thank you, Dr. Lung, for having us here today.
0: Pleasure to be here.
1: All right, so let's get into this. So why don't we start with some basics? How about we start with what is harm reduction?
0: Sure, yeah, so the term harm reduction refers to policies, services and practices that aim to reduce harms associated with drug use and drug policies. Um, And rather than requiring individuals to stop substance use, harm reduction focuses on improving health and safety and reducing the stigma and discrimination associated with drug use. And really um, just treating people who use drugs with dignity and respect and providing um, access to safer practices. There are many services available under the harm reduction umbrella, including needle and syringe programs, supervised consumption services, uh, distributing naloxone, which is a drug that reverses opioid overdose, and drug checking services where people can test the composition of drugs obtained through unregulated means. And we use this term unregulated drugs instead of the word street drugs because um, street drugs has a bit more of a stigmatizing context or meaning, and we're trying to move away from using that term and use the word unregulated or illegally obtained drugs.
1: Thanks, Sarah. That is a really nice overview of what harm reduction is. But maybe if we dial back a bit, what is the need and relevance of harm reduction specifically in Canada? Just to give our audience a a better understanding of what the scope is here or the landscape is here in Canada.
2: Uh, Right. So I can take this one, Sarah. Uh, Okay. So the... Relevance and need is is significant. We, We are living in an opioid crisis. We know that overdoses, hospitalizations related to overdoses, the number of EMS calls related to overdoses, the number of deaths caused by overdoses have all skyrocketed in Canada over the last five years. So every year is higher than the last. Canada is up to averaging about 20 deaths a day and with about 35 thousand deaths over the last five years. So this obviously has a huge impact on our healthcare system, first responders like EMS, uh, emergency departments themselves, and families and friends of individuals that have lost someone to, or or have experienced uh, someone that's close to them have overdosed. So we're talking about kids who've tried it for the first time, uh, or about adults with chronic pain issues that are unable to get relief, we're talking about vulnerable people, homeless or individuals with mental health, uh, severe depression issues. Uh, these are not bad people you know, that are undeserving of better help or support. So th- there really is a lot of relevance and need in Canada and, and it's only uh, increasing.
1: Thank you, Dan. I think that all of those statistics aside, I, I want people to understand that this is a really serious issue and you never know or you never truly understand it until it affects someone that is in your life, but it's really devastating. And I think one thing that we as biochemists or people who live in a metropolitan area like Toronto, we are also unable to appreciate how bad this can be to everyone affected in a more rural community where you have really a lack of even basic medical services Right. These are people who may not even have emergency first responders available in a timely manner. And obviously, these people suffer the most in rural communities, which, as we said, are also part of these vulnerable populations. Now, beyond that, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the laboratory side. Um, So under that umbrella of harm reduction, there are so many different things that you need to address in terms of your approach to helping these people, how does the drug checking part specifically fit into harm reduction?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Drug checking represents a valuable tool within a a toolbox of a larger harm reduction program or harm reduction strategy. So drug checking alone will solve all the world's problems related to opioid crisis, but it certainly plays a critical role in harm reduction. Drug checking is a very attractive service. People are inherently interested and feel empowered by checking their own drugs. So it gives them the ability to make informed decisions with their own body and health, and whether or not to use the drug or how to use that drug, all based around knowing exactly what's in the drug. So at a more fundamental level, it actually gets people in the door in in terms of harm reduction services. So drug checking provides a gateway to accessing harm reduction services. Our program in Toronto has shown that 38% of service users surveyed by our Toronto drug checking program have never accessed harm reduction services prior to then accessing our drug checking program. So this makes drug checking a gateway to harm reduction services. And in turn, once we get them in the front door, it's easier to then get them more help and more support. So referrals to treatment or other health services or social services that they may need.
1: Dan, this is a really uh, new and novel concept. And I think a lot of our audiences may be hearing about this type of harm reduction for the first time. Um, I have a question though, You know, do you think that there is a challenge with offering this service to the intended people who use drugs and that they might be a little fearful or scared of coming to access this because they believe they might be arrested or charged with uh, some sort of criminal charge because they are presenting themselves with a possibly illicit or illegal drug. Yeah,
2: it's a really good point. So in Canada, it really, and anywhere else in the world, it really depends on the policies of the country, right? So uh, in more recent times, Canada's decriminalized the possession of small amounts of drug. And so this has made it a little bit easier to deal with these very serious addiction problems that people have and allow them to get the help and support that they need within a harm reduction site, which is what we access in Toronto to to run this drug checking service. uh, these individuals that use the drugs can then use the drug at the harm reduction site, uh, you know, supervised by the staff there, or that's where they can submit a little bit of their drug to be uh, analyzed at our lab. So it provides a safe space to say that you know drugs can be present here and, and testing can go on. So having the right policies in place to allow for dealing with these addictions is, is incredibly important.
1: Yes, no, I agree with you, Dan. And I think it's important to appreciate that you can't really have these programs in isolation because there's sort of all these other factors that on an individual basis, you have to balance out between, well, is this worth me going to check? And maybe just one more question is, um, I believe that the general public typically assumes that the people who come to let's say harm reduction, safe injection sites, or try to solicit these services are typically people of lower socioeconomic status, or as you said, the vulnerable population. Is that true for people who have been accessing this drug checking service in Toronto?
2: It's all walks of life, believe it or not. There are, there are definitely people with very severe addictions that, that access these harm reduction sites these safe consumption sites. But there are also people that access these sites to use drugs recreationally. And so these are people that might use the drug only on a weekend with friends and whatnot. And so it's very important, especially for these people, because they haven't built tolerances to to the drugs. You know, in the past, whatever, 20 years ago, you're looking at heroin and cocaine. Now you're looking at extremely potent drugs, one slip up can kill you. So it's very important even for these people that use it even, even less regularly to get these their drugs tested to make sure it's not going to kill
0: them. You
1: know, Thanks, Dan. I, I think it's really important for all of us to better appreciate that there are actually very diverse people who need help with these harm reduction programs. And I think part of this is also Destigmatizing people who need to access these services, especially in what I believe is the general public's assumption that it's always people of lower socioeconomic status or people who are already at risk of being a vulnerable. I think that's not the case at all. And that, you know, this affects many more people than we actually know.
0: For sure. And I feel like there's also some really amazing resources that have been published recently. Um, one that was published by the government of Canada. It's a document on communicating about substance use in compassionate, safe, and non-stigmatizing ways. Um, and there's also one that was published out of the U.S. Um, the National Institute on Drug Abuse. It's a document called Words Matter, um, and it outlines terms to to use and avoid when talking about addiction. So they're really, really valuable, and I think everyone should pull them up and read them.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I think all of this is all important in the whole philosophy of doing a successful and effective harm reduction program. But let's get back to the drug checking. Dan, you gave us a good overview of how drug checking fits in. Maybe you could give now a little more detail of how these programs actually work, like a little bit more nitty gritty. So our audience has a better appreciation of the laboratory side of this this approach.
2: Right, not a problem. Uh, so in North America, this type of program, drug checking, is uh, still very new, very novel. It is still evolving to find the best approach and the best way to help these individuals. But there are different types of programs set up across the globe. Uh, the differences can be in the technology that they use for drug checking. So, for example, you know dipstick tests, uh, mass spectrometry instruments. Uh, the difference could be the way that these programs are accessed. We talked about drug checking. People can get access to drug checking in Toronto through safe injection sites. And then the, the timeliness of results and the way that they're reported back to the end user. So believe it or not, in parts of Europe, they have been doing drug checking for a very, very long time. They actually implemented it at raves and outdoor dance parties many years and so when we were starting up our program we actually talked to one of these groups and what they do is they pull up to these special events in a big truck filled with drug checking technology and people then can bring their drug to the truck provide just a very small amount and it will be tested on the spot for them and these uh, results are then posted anonymously on a cork board just outside the truck for people to come in and collect their results So there's very different ways that these programs can be set up and and help people. So in Toronto, we utilize the safe consumption sites, uh, as mentioned, at these locations, both you can get the drop off of small quantities of drug to be checked by us. We're talking about small, like few grains of salt on a spoon. That's that's the amount I mean by small, as well as uh, this is the place where you come back to then receive your results. From the harm reduction staff on site. So, this interaction between the staff and the person that uses the drug allows for a healthy discussion around what the results may mean for the individual. So, we are a very hands on, involved harm reduction service. Uh, what happens in between dropping off your sample and getting results? Well, we actually have a bike courier that goes around the city and picks up this, uh, the drugs at each safe consumption site in a secured manner, and they drop them off at St. Michael's Hospital for testing by mass spectrometry. So our lab's goal is is to have results back to the safe consumption sites within a 24 hour period. And these results are sent electronically through an electronic app called Earnest that we developed specifically for this application.
1: Dan, thanks for detailing that. Um, And I think it's really important for our audience here to understand that all of these steps along the way are happening in very non-ideal conditions, especially if we contrast that to the last episode where we had our clinical biochemist talking about how does it work when you collect a urine sample in a hospital? or in a laboratory facility, where you can sort of control all these steps of the way from collecting the sample, sending it to the lab, and then reporting it back to the physician or patient. This is very complicated and very complex in the way that you've detailed it. I can see many challenges with it. So, you know, with that, maybe, you know, Sarah, could you detail a little bit about the challenges that you've encountered when you were setting up this drug checking program here in Toronto?
0: For sure. Um, I might actually just take a step back and talk about um, drug checking in general. And because there's many different types of methodologies that can use and all of them come with their effective analytical challenges. Dan mentioned that uh, there are a couple different types of testing that we can perform. There's FTIR spectroscopy, there's fentanyl test strips and mass spectrometry based testing. And so like I mentioned, each of, like, each of these has their own different challenges. Um, so FTIR is While it's an attractive technology um, because it allows for testing within minutes, it has pretty limited utility for detecting novel substances that are not included in um, FTIR spectral libraries. And it has relatively low sensitivity, which can be a problem for detecting drugs like carfentanil, which is more potent than fentanyl. And it's it's often present in minuscule amounts. And, And the issue with FTIR is that it can't really detect substances with a concentration of less than 10% by weight. So when you have teeny tiny amounts of car in a substance that it's missing, that's potentially really dangerous. In addition, um, technologies like fentanyl test strips um, may not cross-react with certain fentanyl analogs and lead to false negative results. So those are some pretty significant analytical challenges with those technologies. Mass spectrometry-based testing or drug checking is challenging because it requires significant expertise to develop, interpret, and maintain. It offers superior analytical sensitivity and specificity, but we also may encounter some issues with this. Um, We may not be able to dissolve the drug in organic solvent in order to put it on the instrument. Some of the drugs we're looking at might not fly or might not be able to be ionized, or Sometimes the drugs are just so, so new that um, they're not included in any of the mass spectrometry vector libraries. From an operational perspective, there's also quite a bit of red tape in order to actually analyze controlled substances or these unregulated drugs. In our case, our drug checking service had to apply for an exemption with the Government of Canada's Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. But thankfully, our lab was already set up to meet many of the requirements involved in getting this exemption. Um, but it might not be that easy for other labs considering offering a service like ours.
1: Thanks, Sarah. You know, just so our audience understands this a bit better, number one, FTIR stands for Fourier Transform Infrared Spectroscopy. You don't really need to know what that means, but appreciate that. FTIR and mass spectrometry uh, or spectroscopy are essentially machines that have to be maintained in an environment like a hospital laboratory. And you also need to have a lot of training and expertise and dedicated staff. It's great in terms of it's probably the most accurate, you can catch the most things. And you contrast that with also what you mentioned, Sarah, dipstick technology. Uh, which our audience should be familiar with because that's essentially similar to an over-the-counter pregnancy test, very similar to that type of testing. Obviously not as complex, but not as good and not as accurate, but it's important to know that there are both advantages and disadvantages of each of these methodologies. And depending on where you're trying to set up these type of drug tracking programs, you may be using one or the other because of what resources you have available to you. Uh, I do also want to ask about one more thing you talked about, which is that sometimes your quote unquote library might not have a newer drug or, let's say, a newer form of fentanyl. And so you may miss it. Could you comment on what that means in a more um, understandable way for our audience? But also, how do you try to keep up your library then? with this landscape of ever-evolving drugs and people constantly putting new forms of, let's say, fentanyl into people's drug supplies.
2: So I, I can jump in on this one. The Keeping up with the drug market uh, and what, uh, what the new and emerging potent drug is, is a very difficult practical problem for clinical laboratories. Uh, we search for what's uh, what drugs are in our set library. And by library, I mean think of each drug as, as having its own very specific fingerprint. And that fingerprint is specific to that drug. Uh, when we see that fingerprint, we can identify which drug is, is present. Now, there are drugs that are not in our library. And so this becomes a problem. So we have very sophisticated technology that allow us to search for new fingerprints not in our library that, that we can then characterize
1: and define uh, which
2: new drug is now emerged.
1: Thanks, Dan. I think that's a really nice analogy. And I think our audience likely understands like a fingerprint database much more than when we say a mass spectrometry library.
0: So thank you all for listening to this episode of The Lab Report. So please let us know what you think by leaving us a review on iTunes, and you can email us any questions you have at epoch or epocc at cscc.ca. See you in the next episode.